0: Don't go back. Um, Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read from the NIV, and I'm going to read quite a few verses. I'm going to start in verse 7, and I'm going to read quite a few verses. Is that okay? If you ca- in case you missed your Bible reading for today, I've got you covered. All right, we're going to get a little Bible reading. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir is basically somebody that's going to get an inheritance. An heir means there's something in the will for you. So you are a child of God, and there is something in the will for you from God. He says, "Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. Let's pause for just a moment. The Apostle Paul is bringing up their own history. He, he's sort of pleading with them, and so he's like brings it to a personal level. He's like, you, got, you know me. We're friends. And what he says is when I brought the gospel to Galatia, that was never my plan is what he said. I was actually trying to go somewhere else, but because I was sick, I had a pit stop in Galatia. And because I was sick and I was in Galatia, I thought I might as well preach the gospel because that's how the apostle Paul rolled. He's like, I'm sick. I don't want to be here, but somebody needs to know about Jesus. So he does that. And then he says, you guys treated me well while I was there. He says, he says, verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. It's pretty intense, right? He's like, we had a relationship. You guys cared about me so deeply that you would have, if you could, taken out your own eyes and given them to me. A lot of people assume that the apostle Paul's sickness, the reason that he stopped was he had problems with his eyes. And so they, they were like, we, we would have, if we could have, given you our eyes, literally. And then he says, verse 16. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Like, you know, you tell somebody like, hey, um, you've got something in your teeth, and then they get mad at you. You're like, what? Like I just saved you, bro. You were walking around with broccoli in your teeth, and I just saved you, and now you're mad at me? Paul's like, are you upset at me because I've told you the truth? That there's something you needed to know, and now you're upset at me? He says, verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over but for no good. What they want is to alienate alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you i title of this message again, Don't Go Back. A few years ago, um, Han and I, my wife, we went and saw a movie called Blackfish. Have you guys heard of this movie? Blackfish, you don't remember? Okay, let me just explain Blackfish to you. It's basically an anti-Sea World movie. It's basically the gist of the movie. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you because I think you can trust me, or I can trust you, hopefully. If you hate me afterwards... It's all Hannah's fault. Anyways, um, so we went and saw Blackfish. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't know what the movie was about. Um, I thought it was just about SeaWorld and killer whales. And I think killer whales are super cool. Like, sue me. I don't care. So we found this, like, we knew this movie was premiering. We'd heard about this movie. So we went down to this, like, tiny, dingy, it, it was like it sat, like, maybe 20 people this tiny little theater, and we watched the premiere of Blackfish, and then we realized, like, while we were watching it, it was a bunch of, like, PETA kind of people, like, kind of hippie people that were, like, anti-Sea World, and we were going there with, like, we literally had Sea World passes. So we were, like, a little confused about, like, oh, my gosh, like, people, because basically the movie is about this whale called Tilikum who was not just a killer whale, but he was a serial killer whale, and he kept killing people. And so, this movie is like, this isn't cool. Like, this, this guy Tillicum, he's, he's, not, he's not good news. Like, he keeps killing people. So, anyways, th- this movie's kind of about this idea of, of whales in captivity, is the idea. And there's a lot of controversy about whales in captivity. Is SeaWorld doing a good thing? Is SeaWorld doing a bad thing? It's up to you to decide. I think killer whales are super awesome. Anyways, um, so th- it's about whales in captivity. Now, a number of years ago, there was a, an aquarium in sort of the North Pacific in, in the United States that had a couple of whales in it. And a group of, I'll call them hippies. They were more like, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, activists. There we go. That's like the, the better way of calling um, hippie activists. Anyway, so they, they broke into this aquarium with the mission to release this whale in captivity and they successfully did so they broke into the aquarium they figured out how to open the they like pulled the lever and the the thing opened and the way the aquarium was designed is that it actually released right out into the ocean so they opened the gate and this whale that was in captivity was released back into the ocean they're like yeah this is great Amazing, the whale set free, we're heroes, we're not just hippies, we're activists, and we make a difference. Well, fast forward a few weeks, something crazy happened. This whale that was in captivity, that was released into the wild, decided on his own to go back into captivity. They found that this whale was literally knocking at the door to come back into his home, in the aquarium, he had just been released into the wild. He can live his life however he wants to live, and he thought, "Do you know what? Captivity is where it's at, and I'm going to go back into." and And it's probably because he didn't have to work for his food or do anything; he just kind of chilled. People gave him food, and he like slept and ate all day. It sounds like the dream. Whatever the case, he was released into freedom only to go back into captivity that is what the apostle Paul is writing about to the Galatians what he's writing is that the gospel has set them free specifically for the church in Galatia, they were a pagan culture. In other words, they worshiped idols. They worshiped little gods, and there was a whole bunch of little gods that they worshiped. And now the gospel shows up and says, listen, there is one true God, and you don't have to sacrifice to him. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to do anything to get his attention. You have his attention. All you have to do is place faith in him. And they're like, that is so amazing. Because the culture that they lived in, there was all of these ritual and routine and horrible things that they had to do in order to be pleasing to their gods. And the gospel comes in and says it's free. It's relationship with Jesus. And they're like amazing. And so the chains of idolatry comes off them. They're like, yes, freedom. Freedom. But then what happens to the church in Galatia is they're set free from the chains of idolatry, and they decide to go back and put chains on themselves, and the chains are law and religion. Rather than idolatry and pagan worship and things like that, they decide that they're going to be bound not to sin but to the law. And they are going to assume that their right standing with God is based upon what they do and what they don't do. And it's about earning and deserving rather than about the free gift of grace that is salvation. And so they add on themselves chains. They're like the whale that was set free. And then they're like, eh, I'm going to go back into captivity. And they're free from one thing only to find themselves bound to another. And so Paul, he tells them, listen, I want you to experience the freedom that you can have in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from the the bondage of addiction and pressure and, and all of these things, but also I want you to be free from the law, from routine, from thinking that it's up to you to earn the approval of God. Do you know what? Many people live their life like this, Many people are set free from sin and addiction and struggle and temptation and things like that only to think that their relationship with God is dependent upon how much good things they do and how much bad things they don't do. And so Paul tells them, like, no, guys, you don't understand. You're bound again to something different. You've replaced old chains with new chains. And he wants them to have freedom Once again, and the goal for Paul, he says, Listen, this is what I want you to understand. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to be transformed day by day into the image of Jesus. I don't want you to stay stuck. I don't want you to stay bound. I don't want you to live like you can't get out of this thing. I want you to be transformed and experience the freedom that is found as Christ is formed in you. And so Paul tells us how this happens. How is Christ formed in you? Because that's a big concept. And let me tell you, that is kind of the whole Christian experience. The whole Christian experience is you place faith in Jesus and then from that day forward, Christ is being formed in you. What that means is God is trying to make you more and more into the image of his son Jesus who is perfect, who lived a life exactly as God wanted him to live. And now God calls us to begin to live a life for him and how he wants us to live, into the plans and the purposes and the blessing and the grace and all that he has for us. And so Christ is now being formed in you. Christ is being formed in you. So how does that happen? What does that look like? How can we be formed? How can we have Christ formed in us and not go back into bondage? Two quick things and we'll be done. Sound good? You guys with me? Number one, we have to understand our identity. You have to under in order for Christ to be formed in you, you need to understand your identity. Notice what Paul says there in the beginning in verse 7. He says, "You are no longer a slave, you're no longer in bondage, but God's child." And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. He says, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the law. You're no longer a slave to yourself. But instead, you are now a child of God. I think oftentimes, we don't trust people's intentions. You know what I mean? Like, somebody's nice to you, and you're like, what's their angle? You know what I mean? Like, you're like, huh why are they so nice to me? There's something, they want something from me. I can tell. I don't know what it is because I don't have anything, but they definitely want something from me. And we oftentimes, we, we we question people's intentions. What are they doing? Why are they like this? But when you know someone and you understand their attent- intentions, it allows you to trust them, right? When, when somebody is, is good to you and they're your friend, and you know them. When they're nice to you, you're like, yeah, they're, they're my friend. This is what we do. <laughs> We're nice to one another. I mean, we roast one another, but that's besides the point. We love each other. <laughs> Paul is saying, you are a child of God, and he is a good heavenly father, so we can trust what he's doing. Listen, God is forming Christ in you that's his objective he is to he's trying to take off the sin he's trying to take off the addiction he's trying to take off the struggle he's trying to take off the anxiety he's trying to take off the emotion he's trying to take off the bondage and he's trying to replace that thing with grace and with peace and with compassion and with joy and all of the things that make up the follower of Jesus that's what he's trying to do and when we can trust that he is a good heavenly Father we will allow him to do do what he's trying to do in our lives. Oftentimes, we don't trust God to work these things in our life because we don't understand who he is. We need to understand that he is our heavenly father and he's a good heavenly father. And some of you guys, if we can be quite honest, you can't relate to that reality. And so you have a hard time trusting God as your heavenly father because you don't have a good earthly father. And can I tell you that our God is a good heavenly father. He loves you. He's not gonna abandon you or change his mind about you or forsake you. Our God is good and because he is good and his word is filled with his goodness and lives and testimonies can speak on the reality of his goodness because of how good he is, we can trust what he's doing in our lives. And then I love this. He says, because you're a child, you're also an heir. In other words, God has an inheritance for you. Your name is written in the will of God. Think about that. And not just the will of God, like, like God's will for your life. We talk about that all the time. I'm talking about like a written will. You know what I'm saying? Like as, as people get older, I was going to say you, but we'll just say people, right? As people get older, you, you start to realize like, well, life is short. Life is fleeting. Life is happening really quick. And so what happens is when people realize this, what they want to do is they want to do their best to leave something behind for their family. And so they write a will. And they say in the will, you know, so-and-so gets the house, or they have to split the house, or they have to, so-and-so gets the car, and the X amount of dollars is written to blankety-blank person and for this much. You know what I'm saying? It's a will. And the idea as an heir is you receive an inheritance from God. God has something for you. And his inheritance, I mean, it's God, right? He's not like he's not like, just going to give you loose change. Yeah, this is what I got. No, he's God. And you receive an inheritance from him. And we can allow God to do the work in us that he desires when we realize his intentions and who we are. Listen, you are his child. And we live in a world that is quick to hand out identities to people. And, and, and identity oftentimes and usually impacts behavior and outlook. If you think you are a certain way, you will behave a certain way. But when you can understand your identity in God and your identity is not based upon how you're feeling. Your identity is not based upon the activity you participate in. Your identity isn't based upon who you date or who you don't date. Your identity is based upon who God has said about you. And when you can understand your identity, it will change your outlook and it will change your behavior. And you need to understand tonight that you are a child of God, and if you're a child, you're an heir of God. And when you trust that, you will allow God to work those things In your life the second thing not only do you need to understand your identity you also need to prioritize your passions prioritize your passions look at verse 17 and 18 and I've been reading in the NIV I want to read these verses in the New King James because I like the way it's put it says they zealously court you have you ever been around people that are like courting I know that's kind of like an old-fashioned word (laughs) basically courting is when somebody is interested in somebody like they're interested in somebody and so they invite a bunch of your friends together to hang out with that one person you know what I'm saying like you got the invite and there's like 12 people showing up but really they just want to hang out with that one person and you're like this is why did not you guys just go to the movies together like why did you have to invite all of us this is so horrible Just, like, give us a heads up. Like, if you're going to do that, like, just, hey, I'm, like, really interested in this person. and I just need you to come hang out to be another warm body in the room. That's cool. Just don't surprise me with it. You know what I'm saying? Okay, anyways, they zealously court you. And he says, but not for good. He says, yes, they want to exclude you. Same idea. That you may be zealous for them. He says, they want you to be passionate. That word zealous means passionate. They want you to be passionate, but not for God, but for them. And the them that he's talking about are the people that are coming into the church of Galatia and corrupting the simple message of the gospel. He says, they're coming in. They're trying to get you passionate for them. And then I love this. He says, but it's good to be zealous. In other words, it's good to be passionate. passionate in a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. He says, they want you to be zealous for them. That they as a group of Jews coming into the Galatian church, telling them that they need to practice Jewish customs and traditions. But Paul says, that is not what your passions excuse me should be about. Passions should. It's a little tr- difficult. Anyways, this is not what you should be passionate about. You don't need to be passionate about these, these random customs and traditions. He says, instead, it's good to be passionate about good Things. He is challenging what they are passionate about. Let me ask you a question. What are you passionate about? What excites you? What are the things that, that make you, the, the word zealous is a pretty intense word. What are the things that make you excited, fired up, passionate you know, it's funny. I will watch some people that come to church that are the most, like, docile people I've ever seen, and then their sports team will come on, and they go crazy, <laughs> right? Like, they're in worship like this, and then they're, like, watching whatever team there is, and they're like, <sighs> like, going absolutely berserk. That's fine. It's fine. Like, you can be passionate about that thing. That's cool. Like, other people, like, it's funny, well, you'll have conversations with people, and I'll have conversations with some of you guys sometimes. And it's kind of, like, awkward, and you probably don't want to talk to me. It's probably, I'm probably the problem, but whatever, just. So we're, like, talking, and we're, like, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of whatever. We're just kind of, and then, like, somebody will say something that will pinpoint what somebody's passionate about. And then all of a sudden, they can't stop talking. You're, like, okay, I wish you would actually shut up about that maybe. I'm just kidding. You can talk to me about whatever you're into. Anyways, but, but it's, he says it's, it's good to be passionate for good things. We too often go crazy about sports or we go crazy about politics or we go crazy for our hobbies or we get wild on TikTok or whatever it is, and then, then we're dead when it comes to Jesus, Why do, you think, why do you think we go so crazy on Thursday nights? It's because we want you to understand that God is worth going crazy for that we get passionate and we get loud and sometimes people dance and they don't have any rhythm and sometimes we clap and we get off beat and sometimes all we can do is just jump up and down. But the reason we do it is because we think that our God is worth getting passionate about and he's not just worth sitting there and being like golf clap for God. No, he's somebody that's worth to go crazy for and realize he is worthy of our everything and so I'm gonna give him my everything. And so what Paul is saying is it is good to be zealous for a good thing that it's good to be passionate about the things that matter because we want to be passionate about the right things. Listen, Christ is formed in us when we are passionate about the things that God is passionate about. Christ is formed in us when we begin to get excited and passionate about the things that God is into. Can I tell you some of the things that God is into? God is into you, God is into into people that don't know him. God is into broken people and hurt people and confused people. God is passionate about things like that. And so for us, our goal is to take that message of Jesus that you can be loved, chosen, forgiven, and accepted by God everywhere and anywhere. Because that's what God is about, so that's what I'm going to be about. God is into worship, so we sing loud. God is into opening his word, so we open up his word. God is into all these things, and so we get passionate about the things that he is passionate about. And when we do, let me tell you, Christ will begin to be formed in you. Now, Paul also does probably one of the biggest roasts in these verses also. It's in verse 18, and as I read it, worship team, you guys can come back up here. But Paul roasts them a little bit. I love it. He says, look again in verse 18. I'm going to go back to the NIV because I liked it there. It says, it is fine to be zealous, right? It's fine to be passionate, provided the purpose is good. In other words, don't be passionate about things that don't matter, right? Be passionate for the things that matter. And then he says this, and if you're going to be passionate, be passionate always. Not just when I'm with you. Think about that for a second. Paul says, says, listen, guys, all right, I gotta talk to you for a second. These guys, they keep coming in and they're trying to get you passionate about keeping the law, passionate about dietary restrictions, passionate about all of these weird things. He says, quite frankly, they don't matter. He says, I want you to be passionate about good things, about God things. I want you to be passionate for me and for the things that I'm about. And he says, but can I tell you something? Don't just be passionate about those things when I'm in the room with you. That's what Paul says. Paul says, be passionate, but don't just do it when I'm watching. Don't, don't just be all excited about Jesus because Pastor Paul's in the room. And because Pastor Paul, we're like, you see me, Pastor Paul? Worshiping. Pastor Paul's in the room, and we're like, Oh, yeah, that's a good word. Come on, Pastor Paul, that's good. We need that. Amen, Pastor Paul. Right? And and so we're all fired up. And then Pastor Paul's like, okay, I gotta go. And they're like, all right, Bible's away, worship. We're like this. We leave church and we're like, we don't need it anymore. He's like, guys, listen, if you're gonna be passionate, if you're gonna be all in, you gotta be all in all of the time. <laughs> it's basically what he's saying. Not just when I'm watching, not just when, when you think big brother's there and he sees you. And so because somebody's watching me, I'm like, oh, yes, amen, hallelujah. And then as soon as they turn their head, I'm like, yeah, back on my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, <Ooh. laughs> hallelujah, praise Jesus. No, he's saying, he says, be passionate, be all in all the time. And, man, if, if that's not something that speaks to us as a culture, and I mean all of us as a culture, I don't know what is. When we're, when we're like, yeah, God, we're at church on Thursday night, so, yeah, it's all about God. But where I'm at Friday night, that's besides the point. Like, like what I'm scrolling through at home, when I get home from church, that doesn't matter. Like God, I'm all in. Tonight, Thursday night, 7 to 8.30, I'm all in. And then as soon as, as soon as the lights turn on and as soon as Alex and Kika and the band aren't leading us and as soon as I'm not forcing you to open up the Bible or as soon as there's, you don't have your amazing leaders that are asking you questions and, and trying to get you to go deeper, as soon as all of those things are removed, you're like, okay, I don't need it anymore. Paul says, I want you to be all in, but I want you to be all in all the time. Consistency allows for Christ to be formed in you consistency allows for Christ to be formed in you. Consistency is something I'm choosing every single day to deny myself and to follow Jesus. I'm choosing every single day that regardless of what people say about me or regardless of the feelings that I'm feeling or regardless of the people that are around or regardless of the situations that I'm in, I am choosing to be all in all the time. That it's not something I just turn on every once in a while and turn off when it isn't convenient anymore. I am choosing to be passionate about what God's passionate about and it's not just a sometimes thing, it's an everyday thing. And I'm going to follow God with all I got all the time because he is worthy of my everything. He is worthy of my all. And so he tells us, he, he reminds us, he says, he says, listen, guys, it is good that you're passionate. It's good that you're excited. It's good that you're excited. It's good that you're, you're all fired up about this thing. But listen, stay fired up. Listen, keep walking with Jesus. Don't just do it because it's convenient right now and it won't be convenient once school starts or it won't be convenient when this person comes back into town or it won't be convenient when this thing happens. Right now, it's easy. Right now, I got nothing else to do. But when life gets more difficulty, difficult, I'm sorry, God, but I've got other things to do. He says, no, all in all the time. Can I speak to you guys, you're you're about to start another semester of school, you're about to go on to new things, and it's going to be easy for you to get out of rhythm, it's going to be easy for you to find other passions, it's going to be easy for you to get distracted because of other things. Can I tell you, like, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know, but quarantine and and all the stuff that was going on there wasn't a whole lot to do you know what I mean like there there's not a whole lot to do right now and so like part of me wonders if if Thursday night have been just so amazing the last few months because like most of us like got nothing else to do like we're here on Thursday night because we're like well it's this or like nothing else and I do nothing else all the time so I might as well come here one time and I wonder, like, if, if things start happening or if, if life starts changing and maybe, like, there's more opportunity, like, you go back to school and your friends start throwing parties and things start happening. And if you're like, well, now I've got other things to do. And so now I don't need that. Can I challenge you? Can I encourage you that God is always worth your time and that God is always there for you? And it's not just about convenience and it's not just about Whatever, it's, it's this big idea that Christ is being formed in you and the life that God has intended for you, the blessing and the favor and the goodness and all of these things is found when we're where God wants us to be, all in, all the time.